so yeah, so Brenda's out of town this weekend. And, um, you know, I'm just going to be super honest. I found out about that Wednesday afternoon. Uh, so I didn't have time to get a brand new sermon. So um, we're going to be talking about the Trinity this morning. Uh, I picked this subject because we've been talking about God's commandments. And um, uh, so we're going to be talking about who God is. Uh, and so, you know, it's connected to the commandments that he gives us. Um, but I also just love uh, the subject of the Trinity. Uh, I know for many uh, Christians, it's sort of this, uh, you know, this ethereal sort of up-in-the-sky uh, doctrine that we don't really understand. Um, but for me, at least in the last two years, uh, it's become this doctrine that has um, really been, the, uh, you know, a foundation for everything that um, uh, is important uh, to Christianity. Um, you know, the doctrine of the, of the Trinity, I believe that, you know, most of us would be able to articulate the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is uh, one and yet three. You know, we worship one being, and, and, um, and yet he is, uh, he is three uh, in his personhood. And um, most of us would be able to articulate it. Uh, but if I asked you, if I just sat down with you and I said, you know, that, that's awesome. God is three in one. Uh, how does that affect your everyday life? right? <laughs> you might not be able to articulate that. Um, uh, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is this amazing, big doctrine, and yet how does it impact uh, our everyday lives? Uh, we, we probably won't, uh, wouldn't have an answer to that. And, um, and, and yet, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is everywhere in the New Testament. Every one of the New Testament uh, writers mentions it. Uh, they, might, uh, they don't mention the word, but they mention the concept, uh, in fact, it's, it's just all throughout. It's permeated all throughout the New Testament. And then as we get into the early church, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity was, was something that uh, they formulated. Uh, it was something that they put into a, a creedal format. Uh, and it was also something that they died for. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, you know, we might see it as something up there, but it was very practical for the early church. Um, and and it, was, it was something that they gave their entire lives for. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to, uh, I want to bring the concept of the Trinity uh, down to the ground, or at least I want to attempt it. Um, because as I said, you know, over the last couple of years, as I've been reading uh, about the doctrine of the Trinity, I have come to realize that the Trinity uh, is not an abstraction uh, to, the, to the Christian faith. Uh, in fact, the Trinity is something that is completely unique to, tr to Christianity. Uh, you know, we preach from the Bible, but that's not unique to Christianity. Uh, other faiths have uh, uh, books that they, that they teach from. Uh, we teach on grace, but even grace uh, is not something unique to Christianity. What is, some, what is unique to Christianity is the doctrine of the Trinity. And what I've come to realize is, you know, I used to think the Trinity was sort of one of those doctrines among, among the many. You know, if, if we were to, uh, you know, uh, give an analogy, I used to think that, it, you know, if, if all of Christianity was like a car— you know, the, the doctrine of the Trinity was really important. You know, maybe it's, uh, you know, the steering wheel or the brake or the gas or something. Uh, but, it, you know, it's, it's one, one thing among many. Uh, but what, what I've come to realize is that the doctrine of the Trinity is like the oil in your car. Right? I, I used to work at uh, Popeye's uh, with this assistant manager. And he was a nice guy, but he wasn't very smart. Um, <clears throat> and we got to talking about his car. He had this little clunker. And I said, man, how long have you had that car? He's like, ah, you know, five years or so. And I was like, man, how often do you have to get your oil changed? And he was like, what's that? You know, what, what do you mean oh, changed by oil? <clears throat> and um, I was like, dude, you got to get it changed now, you know. And uh, he, he didn't know, but, you know, if you don't put your oil in a car, what happens to the, the entire car? Uh, it breaks down. The engine stops working. The oil is the thing that makes the engine go. 
right? And uh, what, what I've come to realize is that the Trinity is what makes all of the other doctrines of Christianity make sense. Um, you know, there's this guy, he's got a really awesome long name. <coughs> it's in your bulletin. It's Hans Urs von Balthasar. Can everybody, can everybody say that? Hans Urs von Balthasar. Uh, it's a weird name. Try to say that three times fast. But he has this, uh, this, uh, this three-piece book called Theodrama. And he says, if you want to understand all of Christian theology, so creation, uh, redemption, uh, if you want to understand who Jesus is, if you want to understand the resurrection, you have to understand the Trinity. Because it all flows out of that. Every one of the doctrines that is unique to Christi- or, uh, is, is special to Christianity flows out of who God is as a Trinity. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to make the Trinity that important to you. I don't want the Trinity to be sort of this accidental ab- abstraction. You know, when I was growing up, I was the best Sunday school kid you would ever meet. I always had all the right answers. I knew all of the illustrations of the, tri- uh, of the Trinity. I was able to understand the Trinity. Uh, and yet, if you were to ask me why is the Trinity so important, I would have a blank face, right? I could give you, you know, the three-leaf clover. You know, the Trinity's like, you know, uh, water, ice, and vapor. You know, have you guys ever heard that? Anybody? Yeah. <clears throat> but I would have never been able to tell you why it's so important. And that's what I want to do uh, for you this morning. And so we're going to be in John 17. And uh, John 17 is commonly called uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Uh, because what Jesus is doing in, in this chapter is he's about to offer himself up as a sacrifice uh, for the sins of the world. And what he does in this prayer is this is his last prayer before he goes to uh, offer himself on the cross. And uh, what he does in this prayer is he does a, a lot of important things. He prays for us as the church. All throughout the, uh, the chapter, he prays for us. Um, but, but another thing that he does uh, is he prays to God the Father and he opens up in a very practical way what the Trinity looks like uh, for you and for me and how, to, how it affects our lives. And uh, he shows us two important things about the Trinity. <clears throat> uh, he shows us about who God is in, in himself, uh, in, in his triune being, and then he shows us the very practical, important uh, way that the, that the Trinity affects our lives. And so those are the uh, two things we'll be covering this morning. Uh, we'll be looking at, uh, first of all, how the Trinity changes our understanding of God. Uh, and it does. Uh, the, the Trinity uh, is a non-negotiable uh, uh, in the Christian faith. And then uh, the Trinity also uh, changes how we view ourselves. Uh, it really does. It's very important. So those are the two points we're going to be looking at this morning. And so let's go ahead and, um, <clears throat> and look at our first point here. Uh, the Trinity uh, drastically changes our view of God. Uh, it drastically changes our view of God. And the God that we worship, who we perceive God to be, is incredibly, incredibly important. You know, G.K. Beale, uh, he is a, 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 the, uh, a great theologian. You know, he has famously said that who you worship or what you worship defines who you become. Who you worship or what you worship defines who you become. The type of God that you worship uh, and the type of God that you perceive to be uh, in the Bible is, is, uh, drastically changes who you, uh, you're trying to become. Because we want to become like what we admire. Uh, we want to become like, <clears throat> like what we worship. And so we have to get a good, uh, robust view of God. And uh, we find that in the Trinity. <clears throat> now, the early church, when they were uh, articulating the Trinity, they tried to do it in philosophical terms. Uh, and, it, and it was helpful philosophically that they said that the Trinity is one being or one essence in three persons. 
Okay, and uh, that sounds really smart and intellectual, uh, but if I were just to tell you that this morning, you'd be like, man, I don't know what that means, you know. <laughs> I don't know how that affects our lives, but what Jesus does in, the, in this chapter is he gives us a very practical view of the Trinity. And um, so let's go ahead and, and jump back into these verses. Let's read uh, verses 1 through 5 here. <clears throat> when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you, before the world existed. Now, <clears throat> what is Jesus doing in this passage? Well, first of all, you know, as I said, he's, he's praying for us. But he's also doing something uh, very uh, important uh, in, in these first five verses. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And he's requesting something of the Father. He says, Father, I want you to glorify me. Okay? And, he, and he says why he wants the Father to glorify him. Because, verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me. Um, Jesus Christ in his entire earthly life uh, gave glory to God the Father. He testified to God the Father. He said uh, all throughout the Gospels, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am testifying to who the Father is. He has poured himself out uh, totally self-sacrificially to God the Father. And the cross, uh, it, you know, it is a sacrifice to us, but it is a sacrifice to God the Father. Uh, Jesus Christ is giving his entire life selflessly to God the Father, and he says, listen, I have glorified you my entire life, and now I want you to glorify me, okay? Father, I've glorified you, now I want you to glorify me back. Uh, glorify me back. Now, the question is, what does it mean to glorify? Uh, what does it mean to glorify? Well, to glorify simply means uh, to hold up someone in great honor, uh, to give praise to something, uh, to worship something, right? Um, you know, uh, some of the youth and I went on this uh, retreat a couple weeks ago, and I left my wife with two kids. God bless her soul, you know. And uh, when I came back, you know, she was just totally overwhelmed. And so what I did when I came back is I just, I glorified her as much as possible. Uh, because, you know, I got two nights away hiking in the mountains, and she was having to change poopy diapers, you know. And so I was like, honey, you are just amazing. Thank you, God, for this woman, you know. And so I was praising her. I was honoring her. I was respecting her. Right? That's what Jesus is asking the Father to do. Right? He's saying, God, I've given all of my praise to you. Now you give all of your praise to me. Okay? Now, what does this say about who Jesus is? Well, it says one of two things. You know, C.S. Lewis said that Jesus is either uh, a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Right? And especially in this passage, uh, if Jesus is, is, is less than God the Father, what he's asking God the Father to do is completely uh, egotistical and maniacal because God gives his glory to no one. And so it tells us something very important about who Jesus is. Jesus is on the same level as God the Father. Uh, Jesus is the same God as God the Father. Uh, and so it gives us this very uh, uh, special glimpse into the Trinity. Jesus is, is worthy of the same worship that God the Father is worthy of. Uh, and that, that's... Uh, that's very important. Uh, but even more important, Jesus says something at the end of verse 5 that gives us a glimpse 
uh, into, uh, into a very practical understanding of the Trinity. <clears throat> so he says, God, glorify me, right? Lift me up, right? And ultimately what Jesus is, is asking for is himself to be resurrected from the dead. Uh, when God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, he was glorifying him before the, the watching world. And he was saying, this is my son, right? He is on equal level with me, and he is worthy of being raised up uh, because, of his, uh, because of who he is. But at the end of verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This gives us a, an amazing glimpse into the life of God. Because <clears throat> what Jesus displays on this earth is nothing less than the essence of who God is in himself. Jesus coming to this earth and pouring himself out in self-sacrificial love to God the Father is how God has always existed. And the Father reciprocating with glory and raising Christ up is how God has always existed. Uh, for all of eternity, what Jesus is saying, for all of eternity before anything else was, Jesus Christ was glorifying God the Father and God the Father was responding in glory back to Jesus Christ. And, and we learn uh, fr from the rest of the New Testament that the Spirit was doing the same thing. <clears throat> that within the triune life of God, there was mutual love and respect and honor among the persons of the Trinity. And, and another way that you can, uh, another more simple way that you, can, uh, that you can view this is that in the life of the Trinity, the Trinity is an eternal, perfect community of self-sacrificial love. The Trinity is an eternal, perfect community of self-sacrificial, self-giving, self-pouring out love, where each member of the Trinity worships the other member, and the other member responds with worship back. Uh, there's, there's this um, amazing verse in, in 1 John 4. Uh, there is no other verse like this about God. Uh, but in 1 John 4, 8, John says that God is, is love. Okay. Uh, and, and it's important that we, that we understand that God, John is not saying that God loves. Okay. Now, that is true. Right? He, he doesn't say that God really loves us. That, that is true, though. Uh, but John is saying God is love. In, in his essence, what defines God's nature? What defines God's being? Well, love. That is the makeup of who he is. That's God's DNA. Uh, and, and what do you need in order to be love? Like, I can't be love. Uh, because uh, that would just be loving myself, you know. <laughs> I'd be a really self-centered person. In order to love, I need someone else to love, right? Uh, but within the essence of God, there is three persons. And for all of eternity, God has been loving and pouring himself out to himself uh, endlessly. And, and that's what the Trinity is. The Trinity is a perfect community of love, where God the Father loves the Son, and God the Son responds with love for the Father. Uh, and, and, you know, St. Augustine said that this Holy Spirit is the bond uh, between them. And everything that we see on this world <clears throat> is a working out of that divine love. Jesus Christ on the cross is the greatest revelation of God. Because what Jesus Christ does is he glorifies the Father, and then God the Father responds by raising him up and glorifying him. God the Father is a perfect community of love. It's a perfect community of love. That's who 
that's who God is uh, as, as a triune being. Now, <laughs> I know that's a lot, but what does that mean practically about God? There's two important things that that means, two important things that we have to get. Uh, the first thing that that means is if God is love in and of himself, uh, if within himself there is perfect community and love and honor and mutual respect, then that means that God doesn't need anything outside of himself. God is totally uh, and infinitely self-sufficient. God needs nothing outside of himself. Uh, he could have existed for all of eternity without anything else existing, and he would have been perfect in and of himself. <clears throat> we human beings, we are in, in, in desperate need of one another. We are in need of God. We are in need of food. Uh, we need water. Uh, we need a, a building, a tap church. You know, we need so much stuff. We are so needy. And yet God in and of himself needs nothing. Uh, this is what God means when he calls himself. The one name that he designates himself is I am, Yahweh. Uh, and what that means is that God is totally self-sufficient. I am that I am. I don't, I, I was, I, it's not that I was, it's not that I will be, it's not that I might be. I am. I don't need anything. Uh, God doesn't need any of us. Right? And there's this great Christian myth that says that God created the world out of need. Uh, that is totally untrue. God did not need you or me. He didn't. He is, he is total, uh, he doesn't need us at all. Okay? Uh, God is totally self-sufficient. But here's the second amazing truth about God. God doesn't need it all. He doesn't need anything. And that means that anything that he does for you or for me is out of total selfless love. Anything that he does for you or for me is out of total selflessness. That means that when he created us, it was not because he wanted to get from us. It was because he is such love in and of himself that he overflows and he cannot help but give. Uh, the life that we have is an overflow of the love of God. It's, it's God bursting at the seams. It's God, uh, he cannot contain the love that he is. Right, that's what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, listen, the creation is nothing else. Y you can picture it as a fountain overflowing in love. And he says, you know, I cannot help but give. I want to give, right? We're the ones who are in need, but God uh, selflessly gives. Uh, another display of that is the cross. The cross is not God <clears throat> having to do something for us. It is God going to the end of death, to the edges of death where we are to rescue us out of to total self-sacrificial love. Right? God does nothing out of self self selfishness. We do almost everything out of selfishness. Right? Even the good things that we do, uh, we, we expect something back. Right? Uh, you know, uh, you know, whenever I wash the dishes for my wife, you know, I'd love to say that it's me loving my wife. <laughs> but there's always some degree of selfishness there, right? Uh, it's, you know, I, I, at least, you know, maybe I'll get an edge up, you know, and she uh, might do something for me. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's all, there's always some degree of selfishness there in all of us because we're totally in need. Uh, we are totally beings that depend on the other. Uh, Acts 17, uh, Paul is, is, is preaching to um, <clears throat> these Greeks, and he says, <clears throat> That, that God is, is in need of nothing, and we are the ones who live and move and have our being in him. Uh, that means that every breath that we take, every step that we, uh, sounds like a sting song. <laughs> I'll be watching you. No, that's creepy. Um, everything that we do, uh, is, is, uh, we are in debt to God for holding us, holding us together. Uh, all of our atoms are held together. Our whole body, we, we're breathing right now because God gives. Uh, because God loves. Uh, that, that is who he is. 
Uh, he is this fountain overflowing in love. And, and, the, and the creation is the result of that. He cannot help but give. <clears throat> we, are, we, are, we are needy. He is needless. <clears throat> and, um, and so that's amazing. <laughs> the God that we worship is in need of nothing. And yet he gives everything. That's the God that we worship. Uh, he is totally self-contained, self-sufficient community of love. And yet he gives of himself. Uh, in, in love to, to, to us. And uh, so, so the Trinity is absolutely essential to who God is, to the God that we worship. It's absolutely essential. <clears throat> and uh, so the Trinity shows us something very important about God, but the Trinity also shows us uh, so, something about ourselves. Trinity shows us something about ourselves. And uh, let, let's go back to these verses here, because there's one verse in the very middle where Jesus gives us our purpose. Uh, he, he gives us the whole reason for us being. And, and here it is in, in verse 3. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one whom you have sent. Um, it, here, here's, here's how it affects our lives. <clears throat> we were created by a perfect community of love to participate in that perfect community of love. <clears throat> Whenever you take joy in something, right? Uh, you cannot help but share it. Um, I, I remember, I, I love to run, but I remember when I first ran my, I ran my first three miles. It took me about an hour, but I made it, you know? And I, I remember, uh, you know, running home, and I couldn't help but to tell my wife. I just couldn't help, and the reason was, it, there was so much joy inside of me, I just wanted to include her in it, right? Uh, th this is, uh, you know, most of our Facebook posts. We want to include other people into our lives, Right? I love to read theology books, and uh, all, almost all the time, I, I'm reading something, and I'm like, wow. And Andrew's like, what? And I'm like, there's this amazing thing that I just read. Can I tell you all about this boring theology? Right? And then she, uh, she wrote, you know, and then I try to explain it to her, and then 30 minutes in, she's like, okay. <laughs> but, but the whole point is, I'm so overjoyed, I want to include other people in it. Right? God is this amazing fountain of joy, and what he wants to do is he wants to include as many living things in that fountain of joy. Uh, we were created by the perfect triune God to participate in this, uh, this thing we call the community, uh, uh, the, the triune community. Uh, and so he created Adam and Eve and all of us to participate in that community uh, by the power of the Spirit through the Son to the Father. And then when Adam and Eve sinned, God says, no, I'm going to get you in my community whether you like it or not. And so uh, there, there's this amazing um, text in, in Ephesians 1 that talks about how salvation is not simply uh, Christ doing something for us. It is the entire trinity reaching all the way down into the grave to get us out. Uh, it, it, Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says that God the Father loved us and made a plan. And, and, and God the Son voluntarily came into our condition to save us from that condition. And then God the Spirit takes us up by his power and latches us on to Christ, and then sends us to God the Father. And, and so all of salvation is by the Spirit, through Jesus Christ, to God the Father. I hope you guys are following me. When we say, when we pray in Jesus' name, what we're doing is we're praying by the Spirit, through Jesus Christ, to God the Father. Uh, what is that? That is us participating, through the redemption of Jesus Christ, in the triune community. Uh, all of our lives is shaped by the Trinity. <laughs> uh, because what God wants, us, uh, wants for us is he wants us to be part of that love, 
Uh, he, he wants us to, to enjoy that love. That, that's all that he created us for. Uh, and that's what our final destiny is, to enjoy the love of God. Uh, and, and so God the Father sends the Son all the way down into our death, death that, that by the power of the Spirit he might bring us into himself. That, that's, that's what salvation is. Uh, we were created by community for community. But also, uh, this helps us to understand the, the church. Because the church uh, is not just, a, you know, it's not just a, this random a bunch of people coming together on Sunday mornings. The church uh, is meant to represent the triune community to the world. Uh, it's, it's meant to show the love of Christ. Uh, and, and so what God the Father does is he puts all of our, uh, the, uh, his Holy Spirit inside of us uh, to make us like Jesus, to represent the Father to the world. And, and all of us together are like this, this mirror, or at least we should be, of the, the community of love that God is. Uh, and, and this is why we do community groups. Uh, we do community groups to, to, to represent God. Uh, and this is why we, we go and we share the gospel, to bring the love of God to others so that they can be part of the, this church, uh, which is supposed to be uh, this image of the triune God. And... Um, <clears throat> You know, it wasn't, it wasn't but, you know, you know, a couple years ago that I started to realize this, that all of the Christian life, you know, all of the Christian life should be Christ-centered, absolutely, but it should be Trinity-centered as well. Uh, it should be God-centered. It should be shaped by the love that God is. Uh, and all of our lives uh, uh, should be like that. Our marriage should be like that. Uh, community groups should be like that. Sunday mornings should be like that. Everything that we do should be to represent the love of the community of who God is. Uh, and, and so, when, uh, you know, we are meant to, <clears throat> and this is why Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, listen, esteem others greater than yourselves. Uh, that's what Jesus was doing on this earth. He was in the form of God, and yet he esteemed God, greater, uh, God the Father greater than he. And God responded by raising him up. We are to esteem others as greater than ourselves. Uh, we are to give honor and glory to other people, and we are to voluntarily, uh, you know, go down and, and be humble and to love others as Christ has loved us. Uh, that's the shape that our lives uh, should be taking. And um, so, yeah. So let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you. We just thank you for your love. We thank you for who you are. Um, you are not a solitary being uh, who... Uh, you know, has, has uh, you know, needed to create us. You are a uh, self-sufficient God who gives uh, and gives and gives and gives and never, uh, you never demand anything back. Uh, that's just who you are. Help us to understand that uh, and help us to give as you have given. Uh, we see that preeminently in the cross. Um, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.